kingdom and the glory and the power forever. There is no one like you. You are the sovereign, holy, infinite, perfect God, and you love us. You are full of steadfast love and faithfulness. You are good in every way. We bless you. Lord, you know everything in our hearts, every single one of us. Lord, would you please speak to us in whatever way you choose this morning. Lord, we want to thank you for our fellow Christ-honoring churches, knowing there's just one church in the city. Lord God, we pray together this weekend, particularly for Stonebridge Church, their pastor, Steve Bradley. Would you continue to bless Steve and their team in every way? Papa, we want to tell you this morning that we love you, and we want to love you more. We invite you to speak to us. We pray together in the name of Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Well, church, we're going to jump back in the book of Acts this morning. We're in Acts 1, 12 through 14. If you'd stand with me, I'm going to read today's passage. Acts 1, 12 through 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. This is God's holy word, church. Please be seated. So after the ascension of Jesus, atop of Mount Olives, the 11 disciples at that time returned back to the city and joined with other Jewish believers, and there are 120 of them, about 120 in Jerusalem at this time, that's the church in Jerusalem. They gather in an upper room, must have been a large upper room, and there they are praying and waiting upon God. It's going to take 10 days before God pours out the Spirit, beginning the age of the church, beginning the age of the Spirit. But they are praying there together continually. They're devoted to prayer because they're devoted to God. They're desperate for God. And the priority of prayer is going to continue throughout the rest of the book. So it's going to begin in our passage, verse 14, the first time that prayer is mentioned, but there will be nearly 60 references to prayer in the 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And what we're going to see here is that the church in Jerusalem is going to begin from this small band of 120, only Jewish believers. The gospel is going to spread under the power of the Spirit in a people devoted to prayer, and it will expand until it's become a large multilingual, multinational, multi-ethnic, mostly Gentile church that has reached the capital city of the empire, Rome, and is still expanding. And all of this is going to be fueled by prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 14, when this theme of the book is launched, we simply read that all these, all these 120, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. Two basic ideas there. They were together with one accord, and they were devoting themselves. Together is emphasized in the Scriptures that 
this public prayer, prayer with other people, united prayer, is, um, is a big part of what, how God wants us to be praying. There's a place for the personal prayer in the closet, you and the Lord alone, but, but most of the praying in the Bible is public and united and together, even in the Lord's Prayer. When, when Jesus was asked by the disciples, teach us to pray, what does he say? Our Father, assuming that they would be together with other people. Interesting to me why there's such emphasis. Just about all the praying in the Psalms is praying together, public prayer. Several reasons. One is that we need it. We as believers, we are relational beings created in the image of a relational God. We need other people. Our souls need that. We're together with God. Secondly, not only do we need it, the encouragement of it, but God loves it. Not unlike a parent wanting their kids to get along and uh, to, to love each other, God wants us united and to love one another. And so God loves it when we pray together, share our hearts together. And then thirdly, apparently there's extra power in it. Does Jesus not say in Matthew 18, 20, that wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. And so uh, there's special presence, special power of God in those prayers. It's not just a, enough to pray together, just going through the motions, but when our hearts are in it, when there's passion, when, when you're here and we're praying together, if your heart is in it, you, you have, you're participating in it. And together we come before God's throne, and there's extra power there. That's why Wednesday night prayer service is so vital, because we're praying together, we're focused on it. Uh, much of our Sunday services we're praying, not only when you know, I would kneel lead us through the Lord's Prayer. I'm praying while I'm standing or somebody else is praying. But all of our singing is singing to God. That's prayer. If, if, you, if it's coming from your heart and it's not just, you know, from your mouths, that you're praying. And so all of that's prayer. Journey groups, small groups, other settings, group prayer. Verse 14, we read that they were devoting themselves to prayer. So not only was it together with one accord, but they were devoted. That is, it was sustained. It was a priority. It was the main thing they were doing. This is how they did church in the power of prayer. Many modern translations don't even use the word devoted. They use that they were continually praying to emphasize it's not a momentary thing. This, they stuck with it. They sustained this prayer. They were pouring out their hearts to God. For example, the NIV in 114 translates, they all joined together constantly in prayer, constantly. Or the Christian Standard Bible translates, they all were continually united in prayer. Not even using the word devoted. It's the ESV that uses all these with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer. Oswald Chambers put it this way, that prayer does not fit us for the greater work. Prayer is the greater work. And so uh, God has called us to focus on it, prioritize it, recognize this is the privilege. This is the, where the power is. Now, in addition to Acts 1.14, this key word devoted, or sometimes translated constantly or continually, it is found in two other key places in the book of Acts. One of those places that come, comes in a summary statement at the end of Acts 2. God is describing life in the early church. By now, there are 3,000 believers after the Spirit has been poured out. And, it, and the, the text says that the early church is devoted to four things. They're devoted to the apostles' teaching, which would be the equivalent of the Word of God. 
and the fellowship and the breaking of bread, that's communion, and the prayers. So four things, the word and prayer, community and communion. They were focused on, they were devoted to those things. And then in Acts 6, 4, major problem in the church with unity and the apostles. In that situation, say, we've got to continue, they said the apostles, the leaders, that we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So these three key instances. Now, the rest of the book doesn't use the, the phrase devoted to prayer, but the concept is all through. And we see what it means to be devoted to prayer in the early church. How this was their reflexive action. That, that this is uh, their privilege. This was the first thing they did. Now, elsewhere in the New Testament, that phrase devoted to prayer is used at two other instances. Romans 12, 12, it's a simple command. Be constant in prayer. So that'd be a, 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 a command to you and me. Now, be constant in prayer. That's the same phrase, be devoted to prayer. God is saying to you and me, uh, Wood's Edge, you be constant in prayer. This is your main priority. Or in Colossians 4, 2, Paul is writing to the church at Colossae. Uh, instructing them on the basis of the Christian life, and it says, continue steadfastly in prayer. Again, same phrase exactly, be devoted to prayer. What does it mean for you and me and our daily lives to be devoted to prayer? What's that look like? We'll come back to it. In the early church, we see that they were this intoxicating, uh, carbonated early church where God was so clearly at work that they were devoted to it in a way that is unusual for the church today. Most of the churches today in the West, in the United States, we don't see reflect the level of priority that we see in the church here, and that needs to change. Because the whole reason God gave us the book of Acts, showing us that the gospel spreads and the power of the Spirit as you're fueled by prayer, is that we would have a church like that. That's the way we do church and do the Christian life. It's hard in the United States Maybe we, do, we have so much you know, affluence and, and so little persecution compared to many countries in the world. And we're not desperate enough. One writer put it this way, Leonard Ravenhill. He said, the church has many organizers but few agonizers. Many who pay but few who pray. Many resters but few wrestlers. Many who are enterprising but few who are interceding. He said, a worldly Christian will stop praying, and a praying Christian will stop worldliness. He said, tithes may build a church, but tears will give it life. That is the difference between the modern church and the early church. In the matter of effective praying, never have so many left so much to so few. Perhaps the reason why there is little prayer in the modern church is we're not desperate enough. He also put it this way. He said, the self-sufficient do not pray. The self-satisfied will not pray. The self-righteous cannot pray. At every crucial turning point in the book of Acts, when the kingdom advances, prayer is behind it. God is showing us and teaching us that God uses people who pray. God uses churches to pray. One example in the book of Acts key, key milestone comes in Acts 10 when the, the, when the church moves from basically Jewish to uh, over to Gentiles to non-Jews, people like most of us. 
Now, that happens in Acts 10. Before, it is Jewish or Jewish and Samaritan, half Jewish. But now, for the first time, it's going to begin going to around the world to Gentiles. And God uses one man, Key, a Roman, non-Jewish, by the name of Centurion, by the name of Cornelius, a Roman centurion. Those of you who have a background as, uh, of military, you should know that uh, every reference to soldiers in the New Testament is a positive reference. Cornelius is a man of prayer. In fact, he's introduced as devoted to prayer, always praying. And God chooses him to use to launch the church, to expand it beyond the Jewish borders to the Gentile world. And at every crucial turning point in the book of Acts, we see the kingdom advances through prayer. People of prayer change kingdom history. They change world history. They change the lives of men and women. As it, as it is said, history belongs to the intercessors. More things happen because of God's people praying than we realize. Because it's a silent, largely unseen activity. We don't realize this is where the power is. Because prayer accesses omnipotence. God shapes the world through prayer. And whenever God is ready to do a great work, he first sets his people to pray. The early church understood in a way the American church has not understood. Prayer accesses omnipotence. Prayer is where the power is. Prayer changes history. Prayer propels the kingdom forward. Prayer is the real work of ministry. It is the greater work, not the preliminary work. Some of you have been around Wood's Edge for a while, and you know our journey with prayer, but a lot of you don't, and I'm going to uh, just sort of summarize it. But it began about 20 years ago. Uh, we were meeting at Montgomery College, as it was called then. Now it's Lone Star College out on 242, and God brings this retired couple in, Don and Madeline Sola. And Don and Madeline were uh, a fair bit older than many of us in the church, and they had this uh, heart for prayer that I had not seen. Now, later they tell me, after they come here, they said, Jeff, we didn't like Wood's Edge at the time. And looking back, I wouldn't have liked that church either now. And, but, but they felt called there, and, and I know the reasons to help the pastor. And I, I began watching them and noticed that they were people devoted to prayer. And I, that was not my background, the seminary I went to. It was not my background, the church I went to, because largely the church in America and the church in the West doesn't have that level of desperation and therefore that level of devotion to prayer. Don and Madeline, in a gentle, gracious way, didn't, they weren't overbearing about it, but they began to influence me toward prayer. After a few years, the, uh, Don uh, gave me this book called Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire that was newly out. And it was written by a pastor in New York City, uh, Brooklyn, New York, uh, Jim Simbola. I'd never heard of him. But I read this book. Now, I had preached on prayer. I'd read books on prayer. I'd studied prayer. But when I read this book, I, I thought to myself, I've never read a book like that. This smells like the book of Acts. This is different than my background. And it was strangely appealing because it felt like the early church in the book of Acts. Sometime later, that book just began to percolate in my heart. Sometime later, maybe a year or two later, our leadership team goes on a retreat planning for the coming year. And we, we all four, there's just small staff at the time, all four of us uh, felt clearly, okay, number one priority of the coming year is prayer. We've got to raise the level of prayer. And God began to give us a few specific things. For example, this, I began writing a daily devotional, email devotional on prayer. That's kind of how I started my daily 
devotionals. All fall, it was only on prayer. Our weekly staff meeting was, uh, like most churches, a business communication kind of a meeting, but we changed it so that the entire hour we'd just pray. We'd pray and worship. Other things began to change. We thought that we were going to focus on prayer for a season, but it turned out this was the way God had called us to do church. And as I began reading the book of Acts more, and I just, it resonated, okay, this is what they did. They prioritized prayer. This was their lifeblood. We learned over the coming months and years that when prayer changes in a church, everything else begins to change over time. Sort of like the, the, the water level in a lake, like Lake Conroe. If the water level goes up, all the boats go up. In a church, if the prayer level goes up, all the ministries go up. One example. So God begins doing this in August. In November, uh, we've got a team that is uh, seeking God for where we're going to focus on uh, missions. Uh, Joe Ehrensdorf right back there was leading that team. Looked like it was going to be Turkey. And I thought that I had a heart for the nations fine, but I go to Turkey and the first night, God grabs my heart for the nations, for Turkey and the nations in a way that's different. And, and that night, I'm changed. A major milestone in my life that leads to a church having a heart for the nations while we do something like this. But we found that in true in other areas. Uh, the whole church begins to change in various ways. Now, since then, since August of 2002, 17 years, We've been on this journey. And at various times, we've been pressing in more than other times. It seemed like God was at work more. Well, this past year, God renews this deeply in my, in my spirit. And I want to tell you my story with that, kind of leading to where we are now in this 40 days of prayer. Gail's very involved with it. So this past February, uh, Gail received some breakthrough healing. She had struggled all her life with an undiagnosed condition, dyslexia and ADD. And in February, uh, she's diagnosed with this. She gets some medicine. She, she recognizes, okay, a lot of these challenges and struggles I had with reading and such, that was dyslexia and the ADD. And God really begins to do some deep healing in her life, including from a destructive lie, and here's the lie, that I'm stupid. Some of you others who've struggled with ADD and dyslexia, maybe you can relate to that. But it began to change her life a lot and brought some confidence in her and, and the Lord and what God's doing through her and the shaped in all parts of her life, including her spiritual life. A few months later, God, Gail feels read, led to read Mark Batterson's book, Draw the Circle, 40 Days of Prayer, which many of you are reading now. So this is in May. About the same time, I'm doing my daily Bible reading, just uh, working my way through the New Testament. I come to the book of Acts, and as I'm reading the book of Acts, a book that I've read a whole lot, a book that I love, I am stirred deeply in a way I had not been in years, that this was so vital to the early church. This is the way they did life. This is the way they did church. And, and I remember I began just been thinking that... Uh, we, we need to raise the level again here here prayer. We need a, a, another uh, emphasis on prayer. And I, I remember I, I talked about it with our staff. I talked about it on a Wednesday night to our Wednesday night crowd that God's leading us to press into prayer again. So that was June. Mid-June, I go on a six-week summer break. 
during that time, Gail is working through this 40 Days of Prayer book. And in July, Gail asked me if I would read the Mark Batterson book. Now, I'd read it before, a few years back, and uh, thought it was good, but uh, you know, I'd already read it, and now I'm reading other stuff, so I wasn't really excited about that. But because Gail asked me, okay, I'll, I'll read the book. And I love it. God uses it in my life. What like a renewed vision of, of the level of prayer that we could have. And so I, I decide that, okay, we're going to do a 40 days of prayer. And we're going to do it beginning September 1. We're going to do a 40 days of prayer. Now, during that time, I'm talking with a couple of pastor friends who used to be on staff here. Jason Shepherd at Church Project. Greg Johnson of Restoration. Let them know what we're doing. Don't ask them anything, but just let them know. And they both said, you know, we're going to do it at our church independently. And they both are pressing, and they're both doing a 40-day prayer journey also. So, all this is going on, and then August 18th, I began a sermon through the book of Acts, which emphasizes prayer and the Holy Spirit. Understand, I did not decide in May and June, when my personal time with the Lord, to start preaching in Acts in the new school year. I decided that way back in January before I had any burden about this. Because God is orchestrating it, preparing it. August 18th, I begin teaching through the book of Acts. The next Wednesday, three days later, we host a prayer conference for pastors on prayer. Not because I've been pressing in, but because the previous year, uh, we were asked to host this prayer conference. So that began on Wednesday of that week. Uh, At that prayer conference, Jim Cimbala, surprisingly... The same pastor from Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire days who kind of got us started on all this, Jim Simla decides that uh, he will come and speak at this. He normally doesn't do that kind of thing. But the reason he did is because the previous year in October, so almost a year ago, uh, their family had a crisis that took place right here in the spring area. October, I was uh, in Chicago, met his daughter at an event made the connection with Spring, Texas, leading to our church. Ray Larson right over there is one of the key guests. Ken Kynard somewhere out there. Others uh, helped that family in some ways that uh, meant so much to them. And that led to um, him inviting me up to speak last uh, June at Brooklyn Tabernacle. And when he found out Woods Edge was hosting this prayer conference, I'll come speak. We'd asked him, but he usually says no. So he came to speak. And, uh, okay, so that Wednesday, after we start on Acts, after God's stirring all this in my heart, so Jim Simmel in the providence of God, something that was put in the works way before uh, this prayer conference, Jim Simmel speaks. If you were here on that Wednesday night, you know how powerful it was. First of all, it was full, which I had been praying since February 2013, over six years, that one day our prayer service would be full. Now, I want it more than one time, so. Um, (laughs) But... It was full, and those of you who are there, was it not powerful? It was anointed. It was anointed. And, and he talked about not one but two painful struggles that he'd had with his kids, adult kids. Well, one of them was a teenager, over the years. And at the end of it, he just sort of uh, called any parent here that uh, needs to be praying for a prodigal to come home. You come to the front, and two-thirds of the room came to the front. They were scattered all down the aisles. You couldn't fit up up in the front. And I remember thinking, the presence of God is thick in this place. 
It was a powerful time. So, so that just sort of adds to the momentum of prayer, what God's doing here. Ten days later, we begin our 40 days, September 1. And I have asked you to, um, if, if you're just brand new, I've asked you to, to press into prayer in your personal time with God. I've asked you to, if you're here on a Wednesday night for six weeks, you come to the Wednesday night prayer service. Read Mark Batterson's book, or some of you are reading Jim Simla's book. Fresh wind, fresh fire. Fast in the way God leads you. And that might be some food, that might be social media, that might be television, just in the ways that God has, has led you. And people all the church are pressing into it. And God is at work in our midst. So after September 1st, we have a prayer service on that Wednesday. And twice as many people come as normal. And it is one of our best prayer services ever. Two days later on Friday, unarranged or unplanned uh, coordinated by me, the women had had a long scheduled women's praise night. Gail tells me it was powerful that women received some breakthrough healing that night. Okay, the next Sunday we're in Acts, the next Wednesday, last Wednesday, that's four days ago, we have our second prayer service. Meanwhile, we've begun a prayer journal, and this is what the prayer journal is about. We've got two prayer journals as a church, and I have asked all of you, you may not know about it, but I'm telling you now, that... Uh, Write down three God-sized prayer requests. Not, not three just everyday prayer requests. God-sized. That's going to take God to break through. Write those down. And let's just see over these 40 days how many God uh, does. And so we've begun doing that. And by the way, I don't have the journals here with me now. But if, if you haven't added your three in, write them on a card. Write your name. Give them to me or another staff member or elder before you leave today. We'll include them. We'll rewrite them for you. But we are asking God for some breakthroughs. We're already beginning to see them after the first week. So the Wednesday night, again, powerful night. Um, the next morning, the women begin a Bible study, long planned by Retta, unrelated to me. And it's on the Holy Spirit. Prayer and the Holy Spirit go together. Gail tells me again, it was just this powerful time, and uh, particularly powerful. The next day, she is... She had met at the, that morning a woman in our church that I had not met, Katie Sear. And Katie sends her this text. I'm going to read it to you. Now, she's going to uh, talk about Chatty Kathy. Because, oh, Katie's the one on your left. Those are her sisters. Okay, G she's going to refer to Gail with a Chatty Kathy reference because Gail has been very talkative, excited about God, frankly. And she tells me, you know, Chatty Kathy here, you know, and... Um, mention that. So, here's the text. Well, I'll definitely become a chatty Kathy when it comes to what God is doing. In His amazing grace, He poured out His Spirit in a fresh new way on me this past summer. He has revealed, healed, released from bondage, empowered, and transformed. He has allowed some friends and I to experience manifestations of His presence in such a way that is tangible and has corrected so much of our incorrect theology, how legalistic we were. The excitement of talking to each other about what God has done cannot be contained. I have been walking with God for eight years now, and I've never known Him or experienced His presence like I have these past few months. I can't believe what I'm missing out on. I can't get enough of Him and daily just ask Him for more of Him. I had no idea what it was to walk or pray in the Spirit. I had no idea the lifeless Christianity that I was living was not what Christ died to give. After these few months, then the church began its 40-day prayer challenge, and my prayer life is completely different. I see him everywhere now. I pray constantly and with fervor because of it. We deeply love our church. 
We love where the Spirit is leading, and we are on the edge of our seats seeing what God has in store. Daily I proclaim, God, what are you doing? I see you at work. What are you up to, Father? Because I strongly sense his hand at work in a mighty new way. <laughs> Thank you. So sweet. All right. Strongly sense his hand in a mighty new way. And then she quotes Isaiah 43, 19. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. And then she concludes her email to Gail, Chatty Kathy Club member here. <laughs> yeah, quite a story. When we began the 40 days of prayer, you might recall that I said to you, this is what's going to happen. All over this church, we're going to see people experience God in a new way. If you are engaged with God, if you are pressing in, if you are surrendering afresh to the Spirit of God in your life, coming to God in brokenness as He brings to mind uh, sin that needs to be given to Him and brought to the cross, if you are pressing in with the fasting and the praying, then you sense God at work. And He's going to do some breakthrough things in our lives. May not be all that we want and all the time we want, but we're going to see a lot more. And I want to urge you, if you're part of the Woods Edge family, join in with us. Some of you may be in our town the last couple of weeks. You don't even know about this. Uh, jump in today. Just seek the Lord. What does this mean for me, God? How, how do I fast? How do I pray? What are my God-sized requests? Uh, be here on Wednesday night if you're in town. Let's together see what God's going to do. Now, the reason why this is so important, so important not just for us as a church, us as a city, but for us as individually, because we all have desperate God-sized things in our lives, don't we? And when God decides to do a great work, he first sets his people to pray. And I have no doubt that God put on my heart this past May, June, that we got to raise the prayer level because God wants to do a mighty work in our midst. And we want to be part of it. And so let's enter in with all that God is calling us to do and be part of this. Now, what does it mean, I ask again, to be devoted to prayer, for you and me to be devoted to prayer? Well, here's the story. In the New Testament, there is no formula. There is no checklist. But we can imagine what it means to be devoted to prayer. Here are some questions to help us assess, am I devoted to prayer? Like the early church was devoted to prayer. Well, one question, do you spend un unhurried time alone with the Lord every day? Second question, do you see this time with God as the priority of your day and the privilege of your day? Third question, do you wrestle in intercession for prayer or do you sleepily just kind of go through a list? Your mind's a million miles off. Or do you wrestle in prayer for the urgent needs around us, your family, and your church, and your home group? Fourth question, here's a good one. In your heart of hearts, do you see prayer as a preliminary activity or as the main activity? There's the real work in the Christian life. Fifth question, do you pray often, regularly, that God will pour out a spirit of prayer among us in our church? Because we need it. We need it. God is saying to you and me in the book of Acts with a level of emphasis on prayer, call out to me. Call out to me continually. Call out to me as the first thing. Call out to me immediately. Call out to me desperately. Call out to me with other people. Call out with me. Call out to me alone. Call out to me with all your hearts uh, because prayer is the lifeblood of the church. 
what kind of people are devoted to prayer today in churches around the world, including this one? What kind of people are they? Well, they're the kind of people who are hungry for God. They're the kind of people who are desperate for God to work. They're the kind of people who long to be intimates with God. They're the kind of people who see the unseen spiritual battle raging in the cosmos. They're the kind of people who understand that prayer is the real work. They're the kind of people who understand and see prayer is the greatest human privilege. They're the kind of people who long to see God do a mighty work in our day and our time. And I want to call you, church, to it because God has called your pastor to it. He's calling us as a church to it. Give yourselves to this kind of prayer. And let's see what God does. Stand with me, please. Lord, pour out prayer in my life, in our lives, in our church, in the church throughout Houston. And do something, Lord God, that we can only dream of. To see a transforming work of God in our midst.